Word on Fire is brought to you by Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Chicago area since 1837. This is Cardinal Francis George, and I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Father Barron will challenge us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of Love for each of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us so that we might speak with love about the one who is love. The Archdiocese of Chicago, through the generosity of Sacred Heart Parish in Winnetka, now presents the Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, today is the Feast of Corpus Christi, the Feast of the Body and Blood of the Lord. This is, of course, the year of the Eucharist, proclaimed by John Paul II, now reigned over by Benedict XVI. What's the proper context for the Eucharist? What's the setting for it? It's the great prayer, which is the liturgy. I want to take advantage of this feast to discuss with you the liturgy of the church, this central prayer that Vatican II referred to as the source and summit of the Christian life, that from which the Christian life flows, that to which it tends. The liturgy, in a way, is everything. You know, the 20th century, this past century, was in many ways, theologically, the century of the liturgy. Some of the finest minds in European theology gave themselves to a study of the liturgy. One of those, by the way, was Josef Ratzinger, our new pope, Benedict XVI. Some of his best books are written on sacramental, liturgical, and Eucharistic themes. So it's a theme important to him. I want to structure these reflections along the lines suggested by Monsignor Francis Mannion. Monsignor Mannion was my colleague up here at Mundelein some years ago, and he's one of the most lucid writers, I think, on liturgical issues. I'd recommend you read his books and articles. They're very fine. But I'm following the example he gave in one of his articles. Mannion says, authentic liturgy requires three things. It requires a priest. It requires the people. It requires the ritual. Those are the three essential elements. Priest, people, ritual. And from those three elements, we can also discern the three characteristic abuses of the liturgy. When the priest becomes too dominant, that's called clericalism. When the people become too dominant, that's called congregationalism. When the ritual becomes too dominant, that's called ritualism. So Mannion helps us now to see how these three elements are meant to function together in a kind of coherence, in a kind of dance or ballet, these three elements, and how they tend to get off kilter as well. First of all, the priest. Authentic Eucharistic liturgy needs a priest. Believing Christians gather together, good people, people of goodwill, they read the scripture, they share their faith, they pray. It's a good thing, nothing wrong with it. But it's not a Eucharistic liturgy, and it can't be, because there's no priest. Good, helpful, yes, but not the Eucharist. The priest is an essential element. Now, how come? The priest is the one who links that community to the bishop, and through the bishop to the pope and thereby to the wider body of Christ. The priest plays the role, if you will, in the Eucharistic community of highlighting the centrality of the mystical body of Christ, 
which stretches way beyond the confines of this little community and includes all the world, in fact, beyond the world, to the realm of the angels and the saints. The priest is the ecclesial agent, if you will, who signals and makes real that connection. More to it. The priest is the one who operates in persona Christi, in the very person of Christ. The priest, as he announces these words of consecration, this is my body, this is my blood, he's not speaking his own words. He's speaking Christ's words, operating in his person. Which is why those words uttered by a properly ordained priest confect the Eucharist. They affect the Eucharistic change. Changing ordinary bread and wine into the body and blood of Jesus. That is a function of the priest, ordained by the bishop, linked to the Pope and the wider church, operating in persona Christi. Without that element, we don't have a Eucharistic liturgy. The priest is indispensable. That's not all, though. For authentic Eucharistic liturgy, we also need the people, the congregation. You know, Cardinal Newman had this famous quote. He often talked about the laity and the importance of the laity in the church. And someone said to him, well, what's your theology of the laity? He said, well, the church would look pretty silly without them. <laughs> of course, he's right, isn't he? At all levels, the church would look pretty silly without the people. The church is for the people. The priest is for the people. He's been ordained precisely to bring Christ to them. We take them away, what's the point? Listen, even a priest saying Mass, quote-unquote, privately, is linked to the people because there is a congregation at that Mass, the congregation of the angels and saints. Every Mass is related to the people, for the people, on their behalf. One of the great reforms, of course, of the conciliar period one of the great themes in the preconciliar theologians was to bring the laity actively into the rhythms of the Mass. What was the danger of the preconciliar Mass? Well, it was as though the priest was putting on his own show, the priest performing his ritual, and the people at best watching him from a distance. Maybe praying their rosary, praying their private prayers, but watching the liturgy as it, as it were from a distance, the way a spectator would watch a play. Well, all the theologians of liturgy prior to the council said, this is not right. The laity are involved in the gestures and rhythms of the Mass. They're not watching it, they're participating in it. That's why in Vatican II, we find that famous phrase, participatio actuosa, the active participation of the laity in the Mass. That's what we want. So, as lay people stand, pray, sit, listen, kneel, adore, shake hands, gesture, respond, bow, process, those are things that lay people do at every Mass. They are entering actively into the rhythm and the ballet of the Mass. In a way different than the priest? Yes. Good, good. Just as not all the players on the baseball field do the same thing. 
all the actors on the stage don't play the same role. Good. But as really and truly as the priest, yes, absolutely. Yes, absolutely. We need priests and we need the people, the congregation. Third thing we need. We need the ritual. The Mass is a ritual. What I mean is it's made up of a series of prescribed prayers and words and gestures and ritual action, songs, etc. There is something in the Mass like a text of a Shakespeare play. You know, if you go to a production of Romeo and Juliet and suddenly they're just improvising on the stage, you'd say, well, what's going on here? That play has a structure. It comes from that text of Shakespeare. I've come to see it creatively interpreted, sure, but I want that text to be the structuring element of it. Where you go to a symphony to hear the Ninth Symphony of Beethoven and, and they're just improvising like a jazz uh, quartet. Well, I, come on. I've come to listen to this musical text. Interpreted, sure, but structured. So the liturgy is a ritual. It's meant to be familiar and repetitive. Otherwise, we don't enter into it effortlessly. If we're improvising at every moment, then we can't enter into the liturgy. The liturgy is structured by this densely textured and beautiful ritual. Priest, people, ritual. In a complex set of interdependent relationships, that makes authentic liturgy. Okay, now we can see too what goes wrong. Let's say the priest's role becomes exaggerated. Then the liturgy begins to suffer because it's under a clericalistic burden. What's clericalism? When the priest is so imposing his own ideas, his own personality, his own style over the liturgy, that he comes to dominate it personally. And of course, you know what I'm talking about. This transcends ideology, by the way. There's a clericalism of the right and a clericalism of the left. In both cases, it's the priest imposing himself too much. Look how clever, look how funny, look how interesting, look how impressive I am. Well, see, in a certain way, the priest is meant to efface himself at the liturgy. When I put liturgical vestments on before I say Mass, the idea is, at least in part, to cover me up. I'm now acting in persona Christi. I'm acting in the person of Christ. It's not Robert Barron acting. It's Christ acting. And the vestments are meant to cover up, in some ways, what's distinctive in me. When the priest gets too involved, clericalism begins to weigh down on the liturgy. We need the people, we need the congregation. But what if the congregation gets too aggressive? Well, that's congregationalism. And the liturgy also is burdened by that weight. What's that look like? It looks like the people demanding to be entertained, for example. Look, I find this thing tedious. I find this ritual boring. Entertain me. Do things the way I want them done. I'm tired of hearing those old words. I'm tired of hearing that ritual. Entertain me. The congregation asserting its demands, asserting itself inordinately. But you know, look, 
If we try to be entertaining at the liturgy, we will never compete with the professional entertainers. I don't care how good our choirs are. I don't care how clever and funny our homilists are. I don't care how gifted all these people are. We'll never compete with the professional entertainers. The liturgy is not meant to entertain the congregation or respond above all to their private desires. No, they participate actively, of course, but not in that aggressive manner. That becomes a problem as dangerous as clericalism. What's the third abuse? Ritualism. Yes, we need the ritual. Yes, it needs to be densely structured. Yes, it's not there for us to play with. All that's true. But can there become an excessive preoccupation with the ritual? I think so. And then it begins to look like a sort of aestheticism. Do you know what I mean? The way an aesthete will appreciate a beautiful work of art. There it is. There's the Mona Lisa. How beautiful, how pristine, how untouchable. Don't go near it. Just admire it from a distance. There are some people, I think, who approach the liturgy that way. The liturgy is, is just like a precious objet d'art. It's a, it's a precious work of art. And I, I mustn't in any way fuss with it. Well, that's not real active participation in the Mass. That's a kind of distant admiration of it. Some people treat the Mass as, as an object in an art museum. That's ritualism. The point here is to allow these three elements, priest, people, and ritual, to be involved in this elegant and delicate dance. Each one, as it were, contributing to the other and correcting the excesses of the other. Allow that dance to take place, and then the liturgy is authentic. Then the liturgy is most itself. Think about this now on this great feast of the body and blood of Christ. And God bless you. I hope that you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that together we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George. God bless you. Most interment arrangements at the 42 Archdiocese of Chicago cemeteries are made through a pre-need plan. Your thoughtful planning today is economically prudent and contributes to peace of mind for you and your loved ones. Catholic Cemeteries counselors are available at your convenience. For more information, call 708-449-6100. Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Catholic community since 1837.